It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, did you know that Theodore Roosevelt was the first president to call his residence in Washington, D.C., the White House. Prior to his term, it had been called the Executive Mansion or the President's House. (laughs) Okay, well, frankly, I think I want to go back to just calling it the President's House. Yeah, where are you going to be later? Oh, I got to go over to the President's House. Yeah. Remember Independence Day? That movie where the aliens blew up the President's House. Yeah. Uh, Franklin Pierce was the first president to have a Christmas tree in the White House. Okay. That's... He was also uh, gave his 3,319 word inaugural address from memory without the aid of notes. I don't believe it. Yeah. Uh, did you know that former president James Monroe was wounded during the American Revolution? Of course I knew that. Everybody knows that. I suppose you know what's going on here, right? It, this is your thing that you like to do on President's, President's Day. Day. One of my favorite days of the of... year. When President's Day and the co-main event podcast proper coincide. So here we are. You know what? Each time you do this, I think, wow, these facts keep getting more boring and frankly, somehow even more tedious. And I think that you've reached a limit. was the first president to ride a railroad train. What the fuck is that, man? Did you know that President Barack Obama collects Spider-Man and Conan the Barbarian comic books? Frankly, if that is true, I should have known that way earlier, because that's the coolest thing I've ever heard about Obama. Conan the Barbarian comic books? Have you seen some of those Conan the Barbarian comic books? They're fucking ridiculous, man. And I love it. Millard Fillmore installed the first bathtub in the White House. I have a question about the train one. Did they mean the first time somebody rode a train as president? Or the first person to ever ride a train who was at some point in his life president. Hmm. You don't know, do you? No, but I I could tell you what I do know. Chester A. Arthur enjoyed walking at night and seldom went to bed before 2 a.m. Enjoyed walking at night. This is some Wikipedia personal life section of an MMA fighter's page level 
knowledge right here. Enjoy, enjoyed walking at night. That's right up there with like when you look at some fighter's page and it's like, he is a fan of music and supports the football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Calvin Coolidge refused to use the telephone while in office. Okay. That is, uh, honestly, that's kind of a rad move. Just hey, a Calvin. reminder. <laughs> the, the Queen of England's on the line. Nope. Tell her to write a letter, send a telegram like normal fucking people. Not doing it. <laughs> Take a message. Really ahead of his time with that mm-hmm. one. You're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty and or like us over on Facebook, facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, brothers and sisters, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben folks and I are over there party rocking with three additional podcasts every single week. Uh, we got the Wednesday live chat, the Thursday podcast, doing the damn thing, and Friday power hour to get everybody hyped up for the weekend's MMA events. Far less presidential trivia over on the Patreon page. Uh, this week's music comes to us from longtime listener James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul Brother, a retired amateur MMA fighter who lives in Seoul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Instagram.com slash FSB Beats or YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. Just to carry on the grand tradition of having to spell at least one word in the names of the musical acts we feature. We should note that the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is spelled S-E-O-U-L. Soul. Funk Soul Brother. Because he's from Seoul. Get it, Ben? Yeah, that's the genius of it, frankly. See what he did? Yeah. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast in round number one. When bad things happen to weird people. And in round number two, elsewhere, Mike Perry beat Julian Lane in a bare-knuckle boxing match. Chad Mendez knocked out a dude named Fames. Do I have that right? Fames with a Z? You're asking me. Knocked out a guy named Fames. This sounds like a guy who would send music into the co-main event podcast. F-A-M-E-Z. Fames. Got knocked out by Chad Mendez. Knocked out a guy named Fames. With a Z. I'll just, I'm going to give you some time to make your peace with it. And Andre Koroshkov broke a guy's whole shit. And in round number three, Bobby Green... Steps in on short notice, notice this weekend to try his luck against Islam Mahachev in a lightweight fight that so far seems to be bringing a lot of excitement, at least prior to the bell. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. Ben. Uh, you were just telling me before we started recording this that NordVPN is out here monitoring if my phone is listening to me. Yeah, well, one of the things that I enjoy about having signed up for NordVPN after they gave us our complimentary year subscription. I mean, I already told you about the auto-connect feature that whenever you log on to new Wi-Fi networks, it kicks in. Uh, I told you about the dark web monitor so that you can find out when your information has been exposed on the dark web. Uh, the file protection with secure cloud storage, all that. I mean, obviously, this is what the kind of features that led CNET to declare NordVPN an encryption powerhouse with the biggest VPN bang for your buck. However, when you sign up, you also get occasional emails to them with just sort of interesting 
sort of like blogs, articles about stuff going on in the online world. The one they sent out today, uh, written by the big homie Carlos Martinez, I found uh, really interesting. It was how to test if your phone is spying on you. And Carlos and a couple of his friends set out to do this test where they concoct the plan away from their smartphones, but then just put their phones out on the table and have a conversation uh, where each of them try to sprinkle in stuff about different topics that are, would have nothing to do with their normal lives to find out are the targeted ads you get that seem like sometimes they're a little bit too on point. Are they just, you know, algorithms figuring out pretty accurately what you might be into or are your phones actually spying on you and listening to you? Some of it seems like it depends what you got on there, but the the results of the test were kind of interesting. Has me come has me thinking about planning a little test of my own. You mm. know what I'm saying? Okay. Let's do it. We'll do it right after this, right after we're done recording. Uh, you guys can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy Dan Algieri. Did we ever determine if this was actually Dante? Dan Alighieri. I mean, yeah. the Alighieri is spelled like Dante, and then but he just leaves off the Dante part. I mean, I I would like to think that this is somebody. Maybe that it's that Dante Alighieri himself was actually an immortal, but has to change with the times and be like, I'm going by Dan now, just to yeah. fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. I, I so can believe it. People don't figure out that I'm walking the earth eternally. The distant descendant of Dante Algieri, Dan, writes, just some fights, just some fights, just some fights. Boom. Johnny Walker gets his brain rearranged. In this era of tweetable moments and, God help us, official fight NFTs, does the UFC care about having at least one good, shareable fight sequence more than actually putting together an entertaining card? Please discuss. Uh, Now, this is true that... We live in a world where if something highlight real worthy happens essentially in any fighting event, not just in the UFC, but in any fighting event around the world, it's going to be on social media immediately, right away. Right. The big right. homie Grabaka Hitman is going to throw that shit up on his timeline and then everybody's going to know about it. The question is, if that's a thing that the UFC tries to negotiate its matchmaking around. And my answer, I think, on the surface is going to be no. I don't think the UFC cares about that. I think we're overthinking a little bit to think that they would care about that. In the past, they have dealt with any and all unauthorized uh, dispensin, dispension, uh, whatever, uh, distribution of their content in a very negative way, not positive way. And I would wager that they kind of see social media highlights the same way. And well, uh, I think that we, again, are, would be overthinking it a little bit to say that the UFC cares about anything really besides getting that money from ESPN for doing their 42 events a year. And other than that, man, it's kind of by hook or by crook how we're getting all of these individual fight cards together. I think that they they make a, an armchair effort to give you exciting fights and good matchups throughout the card. But I think that's all it is. I don't think anyone's sitting around being like, oh, this is one for the for the Instagram pages. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll, two things, though. One is that I think in recent years we have seen a little bit of a shift, not 
necessarily to the UFC being less aggressive about people making their own highlights and things like that. I think they still are kind of needlessly uh, hands-on about cracking down on stuff like that. But I think you see at least the UFC partly, but also ESPN leaning into the potential of taking some of the highlights from cards like this and throwing them up there right away and getting what mileage you can out of them. I mean, one of the, the criticisms, though, as I saw... You know, the from the the prelims this week where David Onawa gets that, that knockout over Gabriel Bernitez there on the prelims, and it's just a brutal knock. One of those knockouts where the guy is probably knocked out three punches before anybody realizes it and is just sort of standing there like a zombie taking more on it as he slowly sinks down. Absolutely brutal and really memorable finish there. And I saw ESPN quickly throwing up that highlight and then many people criticizing them to be like, hey, did you maybe want to mention the name of the guy who did it? Like, it's just like, hey, incredible knockout, here it is. And honestly, I think that is maybe a little bit like accidentally showing you what the value of this stuff is to ESPN. It's, hey, cool, quick knockout, viral moment that we can create and throw up on social media, get a lot of impressions on social media, get some eyeballs our way and maybe transfer some of those into ESPN Plus subscribers. But we don't necessarily care about doing much with the guy who did it. He's just another faceless prelim fighter. You, you threw a bunch of penny stocks up there and one of them cashed, and then we move on to the next one. So I think that that's kind of their approach to it and how they see the value of those viral moments is that it has some has something that it can give you quickly, but that value diminishes really quickly as well. Yeah. The second part is, are, is the UFC doing that on purpose with matchmaking? I think they got too many headaches just keeping shit on the the right track matchmaking wise to really think too much about what is likely to give you a highlight reel moment. I think that they they just feel like it's a numbers game. You put together enough fights, you do a good enough job scouting people and think about who's going to be an exciting young talent and you put them up against other people who might not be uh, ready for this level of competition either. Eventually you're going to get some of those moments. I think they just think that the, the law of averages will work out in their favor, but that they've got a hard ass job. And that job only got harder during COVID and all the, the things that they could deal with. All the ways a fight could get pulled at the last minute. They're just trying to keep these fight cards together, move yeah. on to the next one, get everybody the number of fights they contractually need to offer them, uh, and and keep the, the train moving on the tracks. It's way too much to think about. Also, who would match up well with whom for the sake of a viral knockout? Yeah, you make a good point. We just had uh, main events fall out last week and next week, right? We were supposed to have Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fazeev uh, as the main event of this card that ended up being Jamal Hill and Johnny Walker. And next week, uh, we were supposed to have Islam Mahachev against Benil Dariush in the fight that's going to end up being Islam Mahachev against Bobby Green. So they got a lot of moving parts, and they're probably a lot more to worry about than uh, what's what they're going to be able to screenshot for an NFT or right. whatever that well, even means at this point. But I feel like you make a good point that uh, the, the, the ESPN and UFC uh, social media teams are clearly uh, mobilizing a lot quicker to get that shit out there uh, when yeah. it happens. And I think that that's, that is a solid point. They are definitely trying to capitalize on that. But again, like that's just kind of the way of the world, right? Like everybody is doing that. We talk about over on, uh, doing the damn thing behind the, the Patreon paywall when we uh, when we talk about our beloved Seattle Kraken, how hard the Kraken social media team is working at all times just to have content of any kind. Where like 
It'll yeah, literally because hockey players are boring. They'll literally post a picture of a guy lacing up his skates and it'll be like almost game time. Mm-hmm. Time to lace up those skates. So like at least over here in, in MMA, it's like watch this one guy get absolutely separated from his consciousness. Yeah. But I also think the matchmakers are experienced enough at this that they know even if you make a matchup that you think has a high potential for viral KO-ness, you can't guarantee shit. There's how many fights have we seen where when it was booked on paper, it looked like guaranteed firefight, be in your seats and don't blink. And then 15 minutes later, we were like, oh, God, just please call it off already. This sucks. you, You can't predict that. Next question this week comes to us from Darkwing Doug. Cool. Who writes, pour one out for all these youngsters while old man Miller continues to look up from his newspaper, set down his spectacles, and knock these fools out. We all know it can't last, but it feels good, right? What do you think about this, Ben? Do you think that uh, Jim Miller has officially taken over the mantle as old man of the UFC from, from Frankie Edgar? I mean, all the pieces are kind of there, aren't they? Yeah, they really he's, are. He's 38, been a pro since 2005. Currently, the the record holder for the most UFC fights, and got a little bit of space between him and like Donald Cerrone in uh, second place. So uh, he has he's checked off a lot of the stuff on the resume. Plus, you know, we talked a little bit beforehand about this being a curious piece of matchmaking. Where yeah. you take Jim Miller, who has the most fights in UFC history, and you match him up against like a 29-year-old UFC debutant. I saw our guy Mike Bad to the Bone out there pointing out that this was the largest UFC experience gap, I believe, in UFC history with the guy who had, you know, like 39 UFC fights and a guy who had zero. And I'm kind of wondering what's really going on with that matchmaking. Because normally, as we discuss, and as I wrote about a little bit for the co-main event blog and the, the Patreon today, normally you see a fight like that and you think either they're really excited about this younger guy and they think he's going to be something and they want to put some shine on his name by getting him a win over somebody who has a name but whose skills are starting to deteriorate with age. Or, you know... They think that the new guy sucks and we're feeding him to the old guy to keep the old guy around for something. And it didn't seem like either one of those are really the case here because yeah. uh, Mata doesn't suck. He, he he had Jim Miller hurt in the first round, right hands, looked like a, like a good fighter, you know, still developing and everything, but still looked like he had a lot of the physical pieces there. But then also it didn't seem like they're so excited about him or really even trying to hype him up that much. That it was like they were trying to use Jim Miller as a stepping stone for him. Yeah. Uh, and then Jim Miller goes out there, you know, veteran savvy, gets through some tough moments in the first round, and then uses that short right hook to drop him and finish him off on the mat. And you're just going like, man, this guy, you just, you can't close the book on Jim Miller. Several times in the past, we might have thought that we were close to that point, especially when he had some losing streaks here or there. He was dealing with those tough years where he was uh, going through some Lyme disease complications. But here he is still knocking fools out and, frankly, coming up with some better plans for himself in the post-fight where he was like, how about me and Joe Lozon do it a third time? We had two fight of the nights before. Why not? And Or how about me and Donald Cerrone do it again? Like, basically saying, give me a peer, goddammit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to know exactly what they were doing with this matchup uh, because Jim Miller came in as the underdog 
which I believe was a betting line you and I were both yeah, able we, to exploit over there. We both there cast our, on that shit. In yeah. our bets over on the Power Hour. Digging uh, up. He's won three of his last five fights. His last two wins were over Iron Nicholas Moda and Eric Gonzalez. So not fighting peers. It would be interesting to see, I guess, what they're going to do with him next. And uh, Donald Cerrone and, and Lausanne are supposed to fight each other, right? Isn't that a uh, isn't that about that we just got on the books this week? Is it? Well, who could even keep track? Yeah, it's John Donald Cerrone scheduled to face Joe Lausanne on April thirtieth at Fight Night two hundred eight. So that's that's coming up. I'd love to see Jim Miller fight the winner of that. That'd be that'd be a good fight for him. And I guess maybe it'll tell us a little bit more about where the UFC thinks the old man slots into the plans at this point if they if they slot him against uh, somebody like the winner of that fight or if they give him an, uh, another young up-and-coming guy that he's going to be an underdog to but uh god like the 40 i'm about to turn 44 in, uh two months and seeing jim miller go out there and get these wins against people almost half his age i gotta say i don't hate it yeah. i don't hate it well, the thing that I thought about when I was writing this thing earlier today was about when he talked through the toughest years of the that Lyme disease stuff, where he was like, yeah, 2015, 16, 17, he was saying how he could barely do any workouts because his body was just so fatigued. And he had the brain fog that sometimes come with Lyme disease and the, the aching joints and stuff. And still, in all of those years, he never fought fewer than three times a year. That's fucking incredible. Yeah. And that was a guy like, you know, in his mid 30s, dealing with Lyme disease, still fighting in the UFC three to four times a year. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Uh, next uh, email this week comes to us from Wayne Bach, who writes, did Joaquin Buckley execute a perfect game plan on Saturday? Last week, Buckley is on his gram visiting Detroit Urban Survival Training and shaking TFG's hand. Getting tips, asking him to corner him in Vegas. Are you fucking kidding me? Who the fuck gives fighting tips to a UFC fighter? A sponsor, that's who. Buckley wins his fight and is interviewed arm-in-arm with a guy who teaches self-defense against firearms-wielding attackers. Jaw, meet floor. Buckley just leveled up right in front of us. Hashtag secret sponsor genius. Uncle Dana can't sell off your cornerman spots. Can he? How do we know this? Was, was Joaquin Buckley getting some, some money? From the uh, from the Detroit urban dust guy, or was I hope this so. just? I mean, I hope that the MMA fighters are getting money from whoever they can get it from. Frankly, but like this seemed more to me just kind of like uh, maybe some some under the radar marketing genius from Joaquin Buckley because uh, not only does he go out there uh, and get the hard fought win, split decision win over Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Some people thought he deserved to come up on the short end of that one, but he did get the the unani- or the split decision nod. But uh, he's getting some some. Attention, some publicity, some shine here off having the Detroit dust guy out there in his corner. So I don't know if any money changed hands. I would be a little surprised if it did, I guess. But this just kind of seemed to me like, hey, I'm going to have this viral video yeah. sensation guy with me, and that'll get us more attention than I otherwise would going off as the uh, the curtain jerker on the main card of this relatively low-profile UFC ESPN fight night. I wonder, though, if you could... Sell off your corner man spots. I mean, well, we, didn't the, Mike Perry try to do that? Wasn't it Mike Perry that tried to sell his corner man spot? I, I thought it was going to be Darren. Or wait, was it Mike Perry who was going to do it and Darren Till was going to try to buy it? Yeah. Okay. I knew now, it was now we're talking about publicity some, geniuses here. Yeah. But I mean, if you did it on the down low, maybe, especially because at least nominally, there are supposed to be some kind of qualifications you have to meet to be like a second 
in a, a, a fight sanctioned under like a state athletic commission. Obviously, we've seen in practice where Mike Perry can just have his girlfriend out there and, you know, doesn't seem like that we're really enforcing any kind of standards. But like there are definitely things you could do to get yourself banned from that sort of job. So I, I don't know if you could. You might want to keep it on the down low a little bit if you were getting some money for him. And it would have to be in a way where just that person being able to appear alongside you would be of monetary value to them. Since it's not like they can put their own logo on their T-shirt since the UFC also drapes the cornermen in the uh, you know, official Venom gear. But I don't know. I I would frankly love to see fighters explore this possibility more. Just like see who you can get. Like, whether it's just a fan who wants the experience and is willing to give you 500 bucks. I mean, hell, you, you want to go to, like, a UFC event, have a real one-of-a-kind experience. Instead of paying the UFC $1,500 for a, a ticket or something, sitting there and uh, paying for overpriced beers all night, what if you just gave that money to a fighter? who felt like he didn't need that extra corner man spot. You're in the locker room with him all through the thing. You're with him all through fight week. You get to go sit, have like a up close view of the fight itself. That's got to be worth something to somebody, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good idea, especially when we're doing so many damn UFC events. Like they can't be doing too much due diligence on who you're bringing as your corner man, right? Like if all of a sudden somebody shows up and one of his corner men is, is Ben folks, uh, it's not like they're going to call on the phone and be like, what, what belt is this guy? What Brazilian jiu-jitsu belt is this guy? What does he do in your camp? Is he? Hey, is I he got the, uh, I got better Brazilian jiu-jitsu credentials than the dust guy. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, movement coach. That's how I would lift list you. Or, or you know, you can't tell me that Chad Dundas couldn't get in somebody's corner just as the inspiration guy. Yeah, put your hands on him, Scotty. Yeah, you gotta you gotta believe here. We gotta believe. Yeah, we gotta believe. We get five minutes for the rest of your life. Show me a one at coach. What do you got? And there you go. Don't make me go in my back pocket and take out those snapshots of your children that I brought <laughs> between the, the 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 last round right before the last round. I'm getting out the uh, snapshots of your kids, and I'm thinking and I'm saying, what would little McKinley and little Scout say? <laughs> go out there and win it for uh, Alexis and Hunter. Do it for those guys. They'd say never give up, Dad. That's what they'd say. Oh, man, then you just get off a stool with your heart on fire. Yeah, you're winning that one, 100%. Next uh, email this week comes to us from the well-read Neck, who writes, Nice. I just discovered that the DraftKings Sportsbook and Casino app allows you to place a bet on a point being deducted in each fight at plus 2,000 odds. $1 will get you a $21 return. Finally, Dundasso has arrived. Congratulations, Chad. Oh, you know, thank you. This is terrific news to find out. Now, if you can really do this, why would you not just go put $1 down on every fight? Like, how long do you think that you'd get a point taken away before you got to 21 fights? No. Hmm. I think, I mean, think about how seldom a point gets taken away. I guess like you're you, right. You it's regularly go like, through a full fight night of 10, 12 fights without a single point being taken away. The thing to do would be to do it a little bit strategically, at least to, to look around. I mean, for one thing, put $1 I, down on every Czech Congo fight. There you go. Like you, you want to just sort of look around and be like, okay, who here maybe has a history of bending some rules. Maybe what weight classes bend a few more rules, but I do think you could get a little bit scientific with it and then spread those bets around and it'd be interesting. Now, what I got to wonder is we've been using 
the Montana sports bet situation to, to place our bets, the odds are terrible. Yeah, and they're awful. They don't give you great prop bets. And lately, I've been doing it via the app instead of actually going down to Katie O'Keefe's and and placing my bets on the machine down there. At what point does the the co-main event podcast start to think about moving over to DraftKings if they're going to offer us these these fun little prop bet opportunities? I think that point is when DraftKings is like, hey, here's some money for us to sponsor your weekly betting segment, right? Okay, well, you you spoke it out loud into the universe just now. I believe they call that manifesting. I believe yeah. you're going to the secret us into mm-hmm. a DraftKings sponsorship. I mean, we then we used to be sponsored by DraftKings. I got a duffel bag around here somewhere that says DraftKings on yeah, it. Yeah, they sent us some DraftKings hot sauce at one point. Remember that? I do not remember that. Uh, I but, do. Very, it was excellent. If they're listening, it was excellent hot sauce. DraftKings, where you at? If you're listening, get at us with some money. <laughs> Let's make some magic happen. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Hannah Montana. So the uh, the previous incarnation of Miley Cyrus, who writes, Misha Tate is currently cutting weight to fight at 125 pounds while also competing on Celebrity Big Brother, and she's dominating the game. Scenes of her plotting to destroy Carson Kressley, I have no idea who that is, are in cut uh, with scenes of her slamming medicine balls into the ground while Todd Bridges watches in awe. I'll be honest, this shit is making me a cupcake fan all over again. Now see... Misha Tate, that's a, you know, she's bright. She understands how to get herself out there. Uh, Kind of a genius move, I think, if they'll let you come into the Big Brother house with your attack ropes and your Mm -hmm. medicine ball and a giant tire with a sledgehammer and just be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be working out super hard trying to get down to uh, fight at women's flyweight while I'm in this house. So that should give you some stuff to show on the tube. Okay, so I still do not understand what Celebrity Big Brother is or how it works. However, I only know about how Misha Tate is doing on it because I follow uh, at KGBLMFAO on the Twitters. She keeps a pretty close watch on how Misha Tate is doing. And it seems like from the reports I hear via her on Twitter that Misha Tate is doing quite well. On, and like, and it's driving some people crazy how well she's doing. Man, if you're on there, you're if you're doing those two things at once, kind of promoting your brand via this reality show, but also cutting weight, like that's impressive. That's damned impressive. That's really making the most of your your moment, your opportunity. That's a veteran right there. She's not new to this. She's yeah. been in this game. I mean, I'm still. I'm not gonna start watching it. I'm not going to learn anything else about it. But whenever I see a tweet from KGB LMFAO, I'm like, all right, let's let me check in on how Misha Tate is doing in the Celebrity Big Brother house. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment or a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us uh ben did you know that harry s truman's mother refused to sleep in the lincoln bedroom during a white house visit because she was a confederate sympathizer what the fuck also we're gonna we're doing harry s truman now are we trying to separate him from the other harry truman's that's the man's name he's always been harry s truman come on don't know where you've been what does the S stand for? Uh, standout. Thomas Jefferson was the first president to shake hands with guests. 
people previously bowed to the presidents. Did you know that? I did not know that. Ulysses S. Grant was the first president to run against a female candidate, Virginia Woodhull, the nominee of the Equal Rights Party in 1872. Well, she should have won. Probably right. <laughs> Grant, not not a not a huge success nope. as president. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get started with round number one. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, I have to admit, I thought Johnny Walker was clowning for a split second when he throws the arms up in the air and retreats back toward the cage and pretty much like a Buster Keaton style pratfall. <laughs> it was not until he fully went down like a bag of dirty laundry that I realized, oh, wait, no, he's unconscious. And then Jamal Hill comes flying in with a couple of follow up shots. We get the uh, terribly and terribly hilarious picture of Johnny Walker, uh, shades of Frankie Edgar's kick face up yeah. there with his face squashed while he's up lying up against the cage. Uh, I don't know where you want to start with this, if we should talk about the rise of Jamal Hill, or if you want to talk about what appears to be very close to the demise of Johnny Walker here as a UFC contender, but I'm going to let you pick and choose. Where, where, where do you want to go with this first? Okay, first let's talk about what's going on with Johnny Walker. Because... Yeah. You're right. Like something about the flinging of the arms up in the air, as he, as he was in the process of falling backwards, we just went like, "Wait, what?" And the the angle that the UFC camera was looking at at the moment, you just went, "What? What is going on here?" Is he? And especially because Johnny Walker is a guy known to fuck around a little bit in a fight, to do some stuff, try to catch, catch his opponents by surprise. And so you're right that for just a second, it seemed like maybe that's what he was doing. And it seemed like coming into this fight, we were wondering which version of Johnny Walker we're going to see. Because he had that fight with Tiago Santos where it seemed like he had lost all his weird mobileness, that he'd gone up there to TriStar and that they turned him into a, a more conservative kind of fighter and it didn't work out for him. And so we thought, is he going to be back to just flinging stuff out there and trying to make some magic happen? Uh, and it seemed like he kind of was. In the early going, you see him, he's throwing some spinning shit. He's, he's trying to get some more unorthodox attacks back into his arsenal. But it also seemed like pretty quickly Jamal Hill got him in a situation where he was just on the retreat constantly. Like he did, he was scared to come forward because Jamal Hill was there ready to smack him every time he did. And Johnny Walker doesn't seem like he has that kind of style that can really work well when you're having to constantly circle away from the other guy. 
Yeah. Uh, we should preface all of this by saying Johnny Walker is 29 years old. So if he wants to uh, continue on, he says he's not going to quit. He's got some time to figure this out. But well, And at this he's, rate, he's going to train with every single coach known to MMA and it, before he's done. All right, but we we do need to talk about those choices that he's made. Uh, but but let's let's say this first. Like he's one in four in his last five fights. He started his UFC career on a three fight win streak. He had uh, notched a win on the Contender Series before that. Uh, it had been a long time since he had lost anything in mixed martial arts. He 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 got hot. He became this young kind of wild prospect. He beat Misha Sirkunov at UFC 235, and you know that's a a guy we've heard of. It seemed like. Uh, Johnny Walker was primed for big things. And then he just, he kind of falls off the map here with losses to Corey Anderson, Nikita Krilov, Tiago Santos, Santos, and now uh, Jamal Hill sprinkle in a win, a single win against Ryan Spahn in there. And that's, that's your lone victory. But uh, he's, he's had a rough go. And this one against Jamal Hill is, is not going to help matters because he got posterized. You got a a highlight reel knockout that we're going to be watching for a while. Uh, I guess if I had to tell Johnny Walker something and he doesn't want to soldier on, I would say like, man, like if you're going to be, if you're going to be getting knocked out this way anyway, like you might as well do you right. Chad Dunn's advice. You do you Johnny Walker. If you're going to, if you're going to be losing these fights, I want to see the Johnny Walker of old. I don't want somebody who's going to come in and try to make Johnny Walker into a new fighter. I want the old Johnny Walker who was at least fun to watch. And it seemed like we were going to get a little bit of that in this fight. It just didn't go that long because Jamal Hill is out here kind of shutting everybody's lights off that he's fought recently. I will tee it up for you, though. What do you make of the decisions by Johnny Walker to train at TriStar where we haven't seen a ton of top guys coming out of TriStar in the wake of, in the wake of uh, George St. Pierre or a Rory McDonald and then go to SBG Ireland? where we haven't seen a ton of top guys come out of there since uh well, since the demise of Conor McGregor, I guess you could say. Well, it seems like we're just going to try a different coach every single time out and then once we win one, once we get back on the 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 right side of the ledger, maybe that's when we'll make a decision to stick with somebody. Just I I mean, frankly, I'm excited to follow this journey wherever it goes next. I mean, who knows? Do you think? I, I like to imagine that Johnny Walker is doing that old game where he's just like spinning a globe, closing his eyes, and just putting his finger down and being like, mm, "Okay, looks like I'm pointing to the Bay Area, so uh, gonna go over there to AKA, call up I mean, those guys." I don't know the criteria that Johnny Walker is using to select these camps. They're both obviously outside the U.S. I don't know if there are visa issues or or whatever, you know, pragmatic. Uh, factors go into Johnny Walker choosing these camps, but just in terms of like, where can Johnny Walker go to be a successful MMA fighter? I don't think I would have had TriStar or SBG in my top five. Like go, I I would like to see him at, at ATT. I'd like to see him. I feel like a guy like Trevor Whitman might be able to do great things with a Trevor Whitman is not taking on Johnny Walker. Trevor Whitman got too much sense for that. And he's he's got too much other stuff that's going on. Johnny Walker emails Trevor Whitman like, Hey bro, could I come out there and train? Trevor would be like, you know what? Let me get back to you. It's a busy time for us right now. Mm, Just got, just got so much going on. Let me get right back to you on that though. You sure about that? (laughs) Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. I think I so. Know. I think they could stand there and grin at each other and have a just have a happy time up there <laughs> figuring out how to bring Johnny Walker back to success. 
Nope. Nope. Not a chance. But I, I mean, Johnny Walker needs to go somewhere with a recent history of producing a bunch of, of victorious fighters. Yeah, I do think that he's in a tough spot right now for a few different reasons. Because like you said, he's still pretty young in the game and yet rose to such a quick prominence. We were all paying sudden attention to him. But then with that comes a little bit of name recognition and with that comes tougher fights. And so at this point, he's not going to get too many easy ones. You know, like Tiago Santos and then Jamal Hill, especially at this point in Jamal Hill's development, that's those are some tough outings for anybody. And especially if you're trying to constantly wage this battle in your head about who am I? What kind of fighter do I need to be? What like Am I trying to become a brand new fighter? Am I trying to get back to the old fighter? Like, that's a tough spot to be in. And you're. it's like you're trying to... You're, you're, you're wobbling on the tightrope and, and trying to regain your balance all at once and every single fight. And all it takes is one punch. And like, do you completely reevaluate everything about how you got to that point? Or do you tell yourself, uh, he just caught me? Yeah. You know? Hard to know. Uh, at least he has some time to figure it out if he wants to, as we said. Let's talk he about He doesn't seem Jamal. to be taking it too hard. I'll tell I'll give him that. You see well, him you on know. Instagram yeah, afterwards? He, he, his essential Johnny Walkerness still mm-hmm. exists. He's still going to bounce back. He's still going to eat a couple pizzas and hoist the proper 12 with John Kavanaugh. Like, it's going to bounce he, back. He gets right back to the same joie de vivre that he always had. I got to respect that. Uh, let's talk about Jamal Hill inside this new look light heavyweight division. The guy's only got one career loss, and it was that ugly one to Paul Craig at UFC 263. Uh, he has the one no contest on his record that was a victory over Kidson Abreu, but was overturned because Jamal Hill tested positive for marijuana, which we bullshit. can all agree is bullshit. Some bullshit. Uh, so he's honestly 11 and 1, if you want to count that no contest against Kidson Abreu as a win. These wins against Jimmy Crute and Johnny Walker, and I'll go ahead and tag on the one against Ovin St. Prue back in December of 2020, are all impressive. The Paul Craig one, as bad as it was, like seems a little fluky now in retrospect, and I guess we'll have to see where Jamal Hill goes from here, uh, but I'm not sure that it told us anything about him that is going to take away from this current momentum that he's got. Now he's out here beefing with uh, Secret of the Ooze, Vulcan Uzdemir, about th- about his next fight. Uh, I like the nickname, Sweet Dreams. Mm-hmm. I-, I like the I like the double thumbs tats. I like that he puts his that he does the double thumbs when he gets announced, and he's got the tattoos on his chest. And I like that he's knocking people out. It seems like he's got a uh, got a fun personality. He says that the light heavyweight division is tired. And there's some guys out there that need some naps and he's going to provide them for the light heavyweight division. And again, here at 205 pounds where you don't got John Jones anymore, it's almost anybody's ball game, man. Did you happen to see the outfit that he showed up to the post fight in? I thought I did, but now I don't recall it right off the top of my head. It is some James Bond dinner jacket kind of shit. Okay, hold on. And I am all for it. I, at least I think that's it's from this uh, that you could see it on MMA Junkie right now. This the story about him uh, chirping at Vulcan Ozdemir. You click on that one, and he's in there. His sunglasses oh, got yeah. the white yeah, dinner yeah, yeah. jacket with the black lapels and red tie, red red pocket square on there. It, this like this is what James Bond rolls up to play baccarat in or some mm-hmm. shit. I love yeah. it. 
He's looking I abso- good. I absolutely love it. Yeah, man. I mean, I I think that you could see pretty early on in this fight where Johnny Walker is going forward, doing some of his uh, rangy attacks. Right, and where, frankly, where he was having the most success is when he was like throwing out that front kick. He's adding in spinning back fist kind of stuff. But then it seemed like when he started to feel Jamal Hill's punching power. Uh, then that put him on the retreat a little bit. And then obviously it's like when he does come forward a little bit, gets caught on the temple and that's all it takes. It's just that one shot. And right now it feels like light heavyweight is pretty wide open, man. Mm -hmm. If if you can put together a string of a couple good wins, if you got some good power, you can finish some fights. Who knows what could happen? Yeah. uh, I, I like the spot he's in right now. And obviously, any time where you can score a knockout that makes my brain for a split second think that the other guy is on a goof, uh, (laughs) that's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, I know we're going to end up talking about a little bit of bare knuckle FC in round two, talking about knuckle mania. But are you fucking kidding me with this camera that constantly circles the ring? While I'm watching Bare Knuckle FC. What are you trying to give me motion sickness? Who thought that this is a good idea? It's have you watched this where it's like they got this camera that's just sort of like moving around at a, at a constant rate around the perimeter of the ring. And it just makes me feel nauseous while I'm yeah. trying to focus and watch a fight. Are you fucking kidding me? Why would you do this to me? Are you uh, kidding me? I, I realize BKFC is willing to, you know, maybe rethink some of the things. We got the unorthodox ring surface check, you know, we got unorthodox rules check, all this kind of crazy stuff. But maybe we don't need to reinvent how we film these fights. Maybe that that's the part that we we keep that fairly simple. Plus, you got the advantage over a bunch of the people who have their shit in cages, man. You got a ring. You you do not have that same physical barrier that they have to deal with to try to find ways to 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 film the action so that we can follow it. Just all I ask is don't make me feel like I'm gonna throw up from the actual camera movement. Make me feel like I'm gonna throw up from how much your blood is poured out onto the canvas. You know what I'm saying? Fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, it had been a while since we had seen Chad Mendes true last time he fought in the ufc was 2018 and i guess that he spent all of the ensuing years doing shrugs (laughs) you fucking kidding me seriously did you see this dude did you see chad mega mendez out there at bkfc i feel like maybe when you're saying this about a guy who was for a while sitting out a dope in suspension, maybe you're trying to say something without actually saying it. I mean, clearly I'm not trying to imply anything untoward since I know the drug clearly. testing must be strenuous uh-huh. over uh-huh. in bare knuckle boxing. But this dude showed up looking like he borrowed his traps from Brock Lesnar. This was crazy, man. Did Chad Mendez move into William Knight's house during this five years? What, what, what's he been doing? Did he, he must have got a Peloton and a set of shake weights for Christmas at some point because he was looking large and in charge out there as he went out and knocked out a guy named Fames with a Z. Fames. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Congrats, congrats to, uh, to Chad Mendez, I guess, on that win. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
Well, Chad, as ridiculous as the entire situation was, after I watched the press conference where Mike Perry brings out a bat and accuses Julian Lane of having a receding hairline because his brain is toxic, all while Julian Lane is wearing his catchphrase from the Ultimate Fighter, Let Me Bang Bro, just prominently displayed on his t-shirt. Then they go out there and they get themselves into a bloody bare-knuckle boxing match, and a part of me thought, is this what always the kind of shit Mike Perry should have been doing? Yeah, I mean, it kind of felt like Mike Perry was home, right? I mean, a ridiculous fight and a sort of ridiculous event at something called Knuckle Mania 2. That's, you know, it makes me think we were crazy to ever have Mike Perry in the more legitimate side of combat sports, the more serious side of this already sort of ridiculous world. But that was a waste of Mike Perry's time, frankly. Mike Perry should have been bare knuckle boxing. Yeah. To bare knuckle boxing right away. The thing that I like about Mike Perry, even to this point, uh, where there, I feel like there's not a ton to like about the guy, is I do like uh, when Danny Segura catches up with him for the post-fight interview in the backstage hallway of wherever they had Knucklemania 2. And he comes off as very mild-mannered and, uh, you know, it sometimes makes good points. But he'll, then he'll also just sort of drop in these sort of, like, expressionless one-liners, like, it felt good to see Julian Lane bleed. Where it's Man, just like, that's that's when you realize who you're talking to here. I will say, if you have a problem with blood, the Bare Knuckle FC is not the show for you. Yeah, that's that's the truth. There is a lot of cosmetic damage that happens in a Bare Knuckle boxing match, as it turns out. And you know what? I was following along because... Uh, Montana's own Sawyer Dupree fought in this one and nearly scored himself a, a first round victory there over Ulysses Diaz but it dropped him in the early on in the first round with a left hand uh, maybe spent a lot of what he had there trying to go for the finish in the first round uh, and then got finished off later but I was following it via Instagram because his coach uh, Matt Powers is a, a guy I've known for a long time and he was filming afterwards backstage I saw Dupree is laying on the, the doctor's table and they're getting ready to stitch up the many cuts in his face and using the, the local anesthetic there before they go to work stitching on it. And it's like, you know, they're they're numbing a couple different spots that they're going to have to stitch up and then one around his eye. And he's like, wait, that one too? And they're like, yeah, man. It's like, maybe you're not aware of how many cuts there are. Because it seems like you get past the first minute or two of any of these bare knuckle boxing fights, everybody's bleeding. Yeah. Bucking everybody is bleeding. Both yeah. sides, the referee damn near bleeding. And these things, man. I mean, if only there was some kind of technology that we could employ that might prevent those cuts, a, a, a covering, if you will, over the bare knuckles. If only the knuckles weren't, in fact, bare, man, then we might have uh, less cosmetic cosmetic damage following the event. If I mean, if anybody has any ideas, they can they can let us know. But like, I just you'd think at this point we would have a thing that would go over the hands that would prevent those cuts. Listen, you are not going to sit here and, and take next thing you know, you're going to want, want them to fight in a square ring. You know, that's just ridiculous. You're going to want them to start in, in their own corners rather than toe in the line coming to yeah. scratch. They got a brand to protect here, Chad. Be reasonable. I guess that's right. I guess that's right. And what a brand it is. Uh, I, I didn't see anything. I didn't check in with Chad Mendez after this, but I was wondering if he, uh, 
I saw that he saw that that he said that the fight was brutal. But going into this thing, he was like, I'm either going to love it or I'm going to totally hate it. And I would like to know after he did, in fact, dispatch Fames with a Z, uh, how he's feeling about his bare knuckle boxing career. Because he said he might, uh, you know, think about coming back to MMA. I saw some reports he's still under UFC contract some five years after he last fought in the UFC. He's got a few fights left on his UFC deal. Uh, and I, I mean, I guess my umbrella thought is I hope everybody got paid as much money as they've been saying that they get paid by bare knuckle FC because uh, it is, in fact... It's hard on the face. I know that much. And it's got to be hard on the hands, too. But Chad Mendes got out of there. You know, obviously, I don't know much about the skill set that his opponent was bringing. But it seemed like a much easier night of work for Chad Mendes. And frankly, if you can get that kind of night of work and get a pretty good payday out of it, I could see a lot of fighters, uh, especially later in their career, sort of thinking that, hey, maybe that's the route to go. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk for a minute here about Bellator. Uh, we had Bellator 274 over the weekend. Andre Koroshkov, a guy who who was kind of the the you know used to be kind of a big deal in the in the Bellator 170 pound division, but it has has faded a little bit from prominence. Comes storming back here with this spinning body kick TKO Ugh. of uh, Chance Recountre, and we come to find out afterward that poor Chance pretty much got his whole shit broke by this yeah. this spinning kick that Andre Korshkov landed what was it five ribs and a punctured lung something mm-hmm. like that was the was the full damage after this thing uh so this was this was one of the more brutal highlight TKOs that we've seen in a while and some of the worst physical fallout that we've seen in a while first of all the uh the sound of that kick landing. And it's worse afterwards when you know how much damage that one kick did. But remember in Rocky when he's in there hitting the side of beef? Mm-hmm. It sounded like that. Like just that wet smacking sound. And with a hint of the snapping of bones there in the background. Oh, that's awful, man. But I also saw, I don't know if it was his coaches or somebody posting on social media where they posted the x-ray of like the broken ribs. And we're like, oh, he's headed into surgery and everything. And here's the, the full extent of the damage. And then it said something as sort of like a postscript there. Uh, Not the result we wanted. <laughs> yeah. No kidding, man. That is not was, the result you want. Was the x-ray just a foot shape? <laughs> was there just a foot shape stamped in his rib cage? I mean, you should see it because it's, it's not quite as bad as that time that MVP put a literal dent in male cyborg's skull with the jumping knee. And then we yeah. saw the the image afterwards where you could just see like the shape of his knee in, uh, imprinted on the guy's forehead. But it's close. It's clo- It makes you think about just like how extremely painful that must have been right in the moment. Yeah, that was that was a bad one. Uh, Brennan Ward came back. He had been away for even longer than Chad Mendez. His last fight was during the summer of 2017. Obviously, Connecticut native Brennan Ward coming here to fight at the the MMA mecca of Uncasville, Connecticut, the Mohegan Sun, Bellator's home away from home. Uh, he gets the win over Brandon Bell, second round TKO. Uh, a little bit of hometown matchmaking, perhaps, but uh, Brennan Ward comes in off this long layoff and, and gets a win. Another guy who was used to be a capital G guy over there in Bellator. And now I wonder if he will be back on the scene for them. 
Well, if you're so, then he might want to book himself a standing room at Uncasville. That's that, that's how well, it goes. Brennan Ward that, right? has a standing room in Uncasville. He just shows up and they comp him. That's the king of Connecticut right there. <laughs> Mr. Ward, happy to see you again. Your yeah. usual table. You know, if nothing else, this was a weekend weekend that should remind us like this is a, it's a carnival sport, bro. That we follow. Yeah. This is a buffet that we had over the weekend. A little a little something for everybody. You can take a little scoop of the UFC and put it on your plate. You can take a little scoop of the BKFC Knuckle Mania, put it on your plate. You can take a little scoop of uh, Bellator, put it on your plate. And, you know, try, try a little bit of everything. Find something that you like. Yeah, and it is. I mean, on a weekend when you have UFC, Bellator, and Knuckle Mania, that is like when you see somebody come back from the buffet and they got... Crab legs, some garlic bread, and like soft serve ice cream with sprinkles on it. Like that, that's kind of it right there, man. It is, that is quite an array to choose from. I, I, it reminds me that sometimes when you talk to people who are outside the bubble and it comes up in conversation, uh, that we do an MMA podcast every week. And in fact, if we get start talking about the Patreon, we're like, yeah, we do like four podcasts a week and it kind of blows people's minds. And one of the things that I've heard from them. A time or two is like, is there enough to talk about? And whenever anybody says that, I just laugh. And I just say, man, you have no idea. Sadly, yes, there yeah. is. There's more Players. than enough to talk about. In fact, there is plenty. Speaking of which, coming up in round three, Bobby Green steps in on short notice. Going to fight Islam Mahachev in the UFC main event this weekend. We'll talk about that starting right now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Ben, we talked about this quite a bit on Friday's Power Hour, but it bears mentioning again. Here you've got Bobby Green, fresh off his win over Nasrat Hakparast at UFC 271 on February 12th. And you had Islam Mahachev scheduled for an important lightweight contender bout against Benil Dariush next weekend at a UFC Fight Night event on February 26th. Benil Dariush pulls out with a broken damn leg. So understandable why Benil would not show up to this one to actually have it go down. But Bobby Green is game. He is going to jump in there against Islam Mahachev, put his two-fight win streak on the line, a little bit of momentum that he has established in the mind of MMA fans. You were the one who brought up 
on Friday's Power Hour, the similarities between this matchup for Islam Mahachev and his most recent matchup against Dan Hooker, which was at UFC 267 in October, that Dan Hooker came into that fight on short notice and that he had most recently defeated Nasrat Hakparast at UFC right. 266 in September. And at the time, this is the point you made, we all thought, oh, it's a, what a what a great move for Dan Hooker. Strike while the iron's hot. Keep the momentum going. Go in there against uh, Islam Mahachev, and maybe you can get something done and, and you know, come out smelling like a rose, make a little extra money. Well, the guy gets kumurad in two minutes and 25 seconds, and we haven't heard much about it since then. We haven't heard much about Dan Hooker since then. Does the same fate await Bobby Green, or what will Bobby Green need to do here in your eyes to make this a successful outing for him to choose to have this short notice fight now against Islam Mahachev? Well, first of all, I guess we should all be grateful that Bobby Green was willing to take this fight and Islam Mahachev is willing to take the late notice replacement because you know what we would have had as a main event if that fight had just been scratched altogether? This is an ugly card, man. This is an ugly card after the main event. This is this. I was looking at this earlier. Honestly, this might be the most just some fights card that we have seen in the just some fights era. And it, you know, whoever shows up to do the play by play for this thing, pack a lunch, bro. (laughs) We would have been looking most likely at Misha Sirkinoff versus Wellington Terman as your main event. So thank you to those guys for keeping that one together at the top of the card to give us something to look forward to on this. But I think in some ways, Bobby Green, he obviously offers different challenges than Dan Hooker did and probably has a little bit better chance. I still, you never know exactly what you're going to get from a guy who is making the turnaround just two weeks after fight. Dan Hooker had something like closer to like a month or so. Yeah. And yet like two weeks. Bobby Green went the full 15. He went the full 15. Uh, you know, your, your hands might just be sore for a while. You're like your your hands could still be sore from the last fight, two weeks out from a, a three round fight, especially at the age of thirty five. So I, I don't know what he's going to really be able to do in terms of training or stand sharp uh, in between those two fights, or in terms of really coming up with much of a game plan that he gets to try out in the gym between them. And you also don't know exactly how Islam Mahachev is going to approach it because it is a different opponent that he's dealing with there. And yet, it does seem like Islam Mahachev should win this fight. If he just gets it into his world, if he doesn't mess around with Bobby Green on the feet any more than he needs to, he ought to be able to get him down. And then once he gets him down, you know, we've seen what he can do to people. Uh, it does seem like if Bobby Green can just put together a good showing, that at least he will, his stock will will rise as a result of it. The thing you can't do is kind of just get trucked in two and a half minutes like Dan Hooker, because as we've seen, people will forget the brass balls you had in stepping up with a quickness if that happens. Yeah, yeah and I guess in Bobby Green's uh, credit, he's he's really hard to finish. He hasn't been finished since 2016 when he got uh, KO'd by Dustin Poirier at UFC 199. He's extremely durable. Uh, he has a chance to be out there for a while. In fact, I think it would be pretty impressive if Islam Mahachev is able to finish him with a quickness like he did to Dan Hooker, I guess I would feel better about Bobby Green's chances if I thought of him more as kind of like a, a one-strike knockout artist. Yeah. But, you know, mostly it seems like he is a uh, a volume guy and a pressure guy. He seems very, very smart and very, very uh, technical in the way that he 
uh, employs his striking. And so I think if he can keep it on the feet, there's a chance that he could test Islam Mahachev's stand-up abilities a little bit. Uh, that has been a very hard thing for anyone to do thus far, but, uh, it's, it's honestly a fight that I'm kind of excited to watch just to see how Bobby Green is able to do. And if he can keep it on the feet, I think he will have some opportunities to perhaps exploit that experience and skill, uh, advantage that he has over Islam Mahachev. And again, on the other side of the coin, like I said, if Mahachev can kind of blow through this guy, the way that he did to Dan Hooker, uh, then I think, you know, we can, we can kind of, uh, anoint Islam Mahachev the real deal that he is in fact the lightweight contender that we thought he was. So to me, that's the real intrigue here. Uh, and, and again, like as a makeshift main event, you're going to go ahead and, uh, and just make, make this one at the last minute when Benil Dariush has to pull out. Uh, I think it's good matchmaking to be perfectly frank. Yeah, I think you're going to find out a lot about how this fight is going to go from the first, you know, clinch exchange that we get into. And I was watching uh, Jack Slack put together a good video about uh, the way Islam Mahachev's striking has developed and the way it functions in his game now. And he made some good points about his ability to sort of punch his way into a clinch and then his ability to... uh, since he is such a good grappler and he's so confident there that he doesn't even mind punching his way into a clinch in which he gives up the underhooks. He doesn't mind uh, putting you in a situation where he goes for the tie clinch and then makes you make a choice off of that uh, to give up an underhook yourself because he just has he has such good trips. He has such good uh, hip pressure and balance there that he's confident he's going to end up on top in a scramble. And I think it'll be interesting because Bobby Green has historically he, he can fight pretty well off the back foot like that. Like a lot of what we saw against uh hawk process, him you know, putting his own back against the fence, making the guy come in at him and uh, picking him apart with hand speed and movement. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays against Mahachev. Cause it does seem like if you stand there for too long, it's that guy, he's going to end up in a clinch with you up against the fence. And if you can't extricate yourself from that clinch and you can't keep from getting thrown or tripped to the mat, then it's going to be a quick night. Uh, And so that's the part he'll have to come up with an answer to. And it's not like he has a whole lot of time to figure that puzzle out. Yeah. Um, Let's, should we do just saying stuff? There's, I mean, we talked a little bit about this fight card. There's just not a lot happening here uh, on this fight night, two Oh two fight card beyond this, this main event. Like you mentioned, Misha Sirkinov and Wellington Turner Terman. And then the, the, you know, it's it's got a very international flavor, I guess you could say. Like I said, the person who is the play-by-play man on Saturday night better do their homework because there's a, you know, there's a you'd have to give it a lot of different looks, I guess, <laughs> in terms of pronunciation. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a it's a thin card, I think, aside from from the makeshift main event here. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is that. All right, well, what do you got for just saying stuff this week, Ben? And then we'll get out of here. Well, Chad, I saw that uh, Rampage Jackson's son won himself a fight here recently. And uh, I believe maybe it's his second uh, fight. Uh, Raja Jackson, he's just 22. Second, I believe he's his second amateur uh, MMA fight here. And Rampage on Twitter posted some of the footage. He says uh, from Global Legion FC, which sure, I'll take your word for it, that that's a thing. But I can't tell for sure. It seems like it's Rampage maybe filming, or and it sounds like it's Rampage shouting out advice But when Rampage Jackson shouts out advice to his own son during a fight, Rampage Jackson, experienced MMA fighter, 
The advice he shouts out is stuff like, go ahead and knock him out. Let's get yes, out of nice. here. Yeah, put your hands on him. Little and rampage. Then, and then when he grabs him uh, and starts looking for a submission, it's, don't let him go. So I guess I'm just saying, even when your dad is a very experienced professional fighter, it doesn't mean that the shouted advice from outside the cage will be any better. It's kind of all just put your hands on him, Scotty, over and over again. Knock him out. Choke him out. Win the fight. Mm -hmm. Do well. Yeah. Hit a home run. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, He must be just saving the good stuff for backstage, right? The technical analysis is coming in the locker room before before you go out for the fight. Go ahead and knock him out. Okay. Good idea. <laughs> uh, ben, did you see the uh, the Cobain this week in the UFC? Kyle Dawkins, 195-pound catchweight yep. fight, got the win over Jamie Pickett. A Darce choke. Pickett tapped out one second before the end of the first round. Just right before the whore. Yep. Uh, did you see the explanation? Yes, I did, Ugh, as a matter of fact. Jamie Pickett goes out there, posts this, hey guys, no excuses from me. I did my best for the time I had and didn't. it didn't go my way. My tongue got caught between my teeth. Felt like I was going to cut it off, so I tapped. I guess this week I'm just saying, uh, fucking gross, man. Yeah. Some fucking gross shit can happen in this sport. Thought he was going to bite his own tongue off, so he tapped. Because of the Darst choke from Kyle Dawkins. Fucking gross, man. That's quite a calculation to have to go through in your mind in that pressure-filled situation. Be like, man, I wonder how much more pressure my tongue can take before I just lose a piece of it. Before it just pops off here in the co-main of UFC Fight Night 201 in a catchweight fight against Kyle Dawkins. Should probably tap. Gonna keep my tongue. Gonna keep my tongue. My tongue will live to fight another day. Fucking gross, man. Just, Just saying. saying. Just saying. That is going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event podcast. Of course, we'll be over at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event all week. The Wednesday live chat. Thursday, we got doing the damn thing. Friday, we're here with the power hour with the ever popular $20 we never want to see again recurring betting uh, theme. Everybody won money last week, man. Yeah. Had a little bit yeah. of success. And you know what? You talk shit on me for throwing in a hockey bet, betting that the LA Kings would beat the hated Las Vegas Golden Knights. Guess who pulled out an overtime victory? LA Kings, baby. Fuck the Knights. I can't be too mad. I hate to see you win the bet, but I can't be too mad about the hated and loathsome Las Vegas Golden Knights going down. That I love. Fuck the Knights. Pay me. That's what I got to say. Check us out over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, though, we're done. We are through. We are out. Ben, did you know that Warren G. Harding was the first president to speak over the radio? I feel like you've used that one before. Well, I mean, there's only so many presidents, my guy. I mean, how come we don't hear any recent president facts? So I guess you have the Obama one. What else you got? You got any? You got any fun Nixon ones? How about some, let's rehab Nixon's image for just some fun facts? Yeah, let's see if we can. Uh, how about all the put, criminal shit? Put a put a better spin on the whole Nixon years. You know what? I'm not seeing any Nixon trivia on here. Like to bowl. Richard Nixon.
wounded, Lyndon B. Johnson rejected his official portrait painting, saying it was the ugliest thing he'd ever seen. What did he think he looked like? Come on, Lyndon, we've seen you, man. You aren't winning any beauty contests. You're not running a looks operation. William Taft owned the last presidential cow. Well, we have, that's one we should bring back. There should always be a presidential cow. Yeah, I've not seen any Nixon here. Um, you know what? I'm going to have to get back to you on some Nixon trivia, I guess. Oh, wait. Richard Nixon talked to astronauts on the moon from the White House by radio telephone on July 21st, 1969. You mean he talked to him from the president's house? He's at the president's house calling to the moon. Yeah. <laughs>